Gray Sergeant Highway. And I've drunk more beer and pissed more blood and banged more quiff, busted more... <laughs> Nuts put together. Tonight, if you will sleep with your rifle, you will give your rifle a girl's name. Because this is the only pussy you people are going to get. This is my rifle. There are many like it, but this one is mine. We are the masters of our enemy. We are the saviors of my life. So be it. Until there is no enemy. But peace. The military-industrial complex doesn't care about us. We need to stop sending our children to war and dying for the bankers and elites. The medical-industrial complex does not care about us. They need us sick and weak so we can be patients for life. Stop taking their poison. The education system is merely an indoctrination program designed to supply the elites with obedient workers and turn over as much profit as possible at our expense. Let's turn off the television. Put down the phone. Let's take our country back. Thanks for being one of us. You are listening to the Conspiracy Soldiers Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast, Conspiracy Soldiers Podcast. What's up, Horseman? How you doing, Fox? Pretty good. So we got a guy coming on. We got a guest coming on later. He's uh he's got a fabrication business and uh his son was tra- had a tragedy that was involved with the military and the medical industrial complex, so both of those things kind of tie into what we've been talking about. Uh, we're going to bring him on in about a half hour. I wanted okay. to talk about some other stuff first. like So, the show's doing pretty good. Uh, it's, it's growing pretty fast. I'm kind of surprised. <clears throat> Most of them are Americans, but we got some. Got a lot from Belgium, actually, which... I don't know too much about Belgium, you? Mm, not really. It's it's mostly all Europe, mostly Americans, a lot in the in Europe and a couple in Canada and Australia and stuff like that. Cool. The only thing I know about Belgium is uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. I think that's where he's from, Brussels. I think it's in the Netherlands. I, I'm, I'm terrible about that, <laughs> that region, though. Yeah, Van Damme had some good movies back in the day. I was kind of disappointed when I found out he was in ballet. Oh, yeah? (laughs) So, hey, that's the same thing with Tupac. A lot of people look up to Tupac, but he was a ballerina, too. Um, There was a a Loman Checo, I think Loman Checo, he's uh, one of the best boxers of our time. Oh, yeah, Um, I know who you're talking about. He was, his dad told him to take ballet and that's where he got all those crazy moves i'll say with sugar ray robinson he was a big dancer oh okay he was one of the one of the best boxers ever muhammad seems like he would be a good dancer ollie yeah i don't know what kind of dance style but you know he's super fleet-footed yeah so so we were uh, i did end up watching live and let die 
Yeah. Actually, that was kind of cheesy, I thought. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, you know how these them James Bond movies are. It's like... Yeah. It, it, that, that was the, the shit that uh, Austin Powers was actually making fun of because they're yeah. so cheesy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. As a kid, I didn't know better. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was interesting. Uh, but that wasn't uh, Sam Monique, though. That was it a... Wasn't? No, that was a fictional name. They actually filmed all those movies in Jamaica. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then I was that was that with you when we were talking about uh, the moon landing, or did I do that on? Did you listen to that solo episode I did? I have not had a chance. I've been slammed lately. Well, anyway, somebody was getting on me because I got the fucking moon landing year wrong. <laughs> I said I said it was in '63. It was actually in '69. Uh huh. But I think that's because I've been we've been talking about uh, RFK Jr. a lot lately. I got JFK on the brain. Mm-hmm. And uh, that Kubrick link he sent me. Yeah. What you? I thought, man, that shit seemed genuine as fuck to me. It did. I mean, I know they got deep fake out there, but. Man, it just sounded, it, it just seemed real to me. Yeah, it felt authentic. It sure you, did. You know, if you'd listen to him in previous interviews, just in case people don't know, this is about him having an admonition about uh, faking, filming the moon landing, fake moon landing. Yeah, I mean, that's that rumor's been going around. According to the, uh, this guy, matter of fact, this guy that uh, interviewed him, his name's T. Patrick Murphy. I've been messaging back and forth with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess he's about to drop. He called it. He says the real edit is releasing next week, which I don't mean. What, I don't know what he meant by that. Okay. I said, uh, are you saying the first one was altered? I'm not sure I understand. Let's, he responded, let's just say by the end of the film, all will be made clear. It's complex. Wow. So, Interesting. Yeah. Maybe we can get him on here. You never know. You never know. Uh, but um, uh, just, just to interrupt, uh, Belgium is, is just uh, north of France. Apologize. That sounds about um, right, yeah. I don't think typically Americans are super excellent with geography in Europe myself included right well we do have we do have uh so we got people in belgium and france listening great britain yeah mm-hmm. oh anyway yeah so this one guy he likes to uh message after every episode and give he he's very opinionated uh-huh and he's he messages me every time. His name's Ben. But he's got some pretty good ideas. So I said, all right, man, you want to keep on uh, giving us your input? You can be the new advisor to the show. <laughs> I told him I was going to call him the Chairborn Ranger, but he didn't like that. So he goes, we gotta keep up, you got to come up with something else. I said, all right, we'll think it over. Yeah, so if, if, the, if the Conspiracy Soldiers podcast was an infantry unit, Right now, we're about the size of a large platoon or a small company. 
So we're getting there. Okay. All right. I was thinking it would take longer. I had a lot of shit written down that I already changed my mind about talking about because I want to get this guy on here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pause it. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link us back up all together. Okay. Be right back. All right. We're here with Brian Brumsfeld. Is it Brumsfeld or Brumsfield? Brumfield. Brumfield. Like All right. Field. Yeah, Brumfield. All right. So, uh, Brian's son was involved with the, the military industrial complex and the medical industrial complex. And, uh, he came on to talk a little bit about that. So, uh, yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself and, and, and then get right into it whenever, however you want to do it. Sure. So, you know, I'm in my 50s. I've got a family. <laughs> I had four kids. Um, I was not in the military, but we've had a lot of you know, family members that were in the military. My father-in-law, uh, grandparents, a lot of World War II vets, you know. Um, but my son entered. You know, it was kind of a surprise. He he was an Eagle Scout. He, uh, he went to a welding trade school and got certifications i think he had four certifications and, and one of them was the hardest one you can get it's the, the pipe welding uh, so he really liked it he enjoyed it a lot he got a job he was a professional welder and one day he came home and he said i, I want to join the army and i guess he had been thinking about it for a while and you know, he was a he was a ham radio operator like i am and he ended up getting talked into he wanted to be like a a weapons specialist because he's really like geeks out on guns and, and stuff and they talked him into this radio operator position so it was you know it was u.s army it was a uh, 25 charlie was the you know the mos radio operator maintainer and then it had what they called i believe schedule 40 so it was supposed to be for path right so they go to uh, you go to basic they go to ait and then they go to ranger assessment, but and then airborne, you know, beyond that. So I guess you know, like originally, it was you'd go right from AIT, you'd go to airborne jump school, and then you would go to RASP, the ranger assessment selection program. But they changed it because people were getting their airborne rocker, and then bailing out, and they wouldn't go to the ranger track. So they really wanted to get ranger. So anyway, he wasn't really prepared for that. He. Uh, you know, he did pretty good at, uh, in basic. He did pretty good in AIT. And uh, he went to RASP, and they washed him out pretty quickly. And it was one of these things where, you know, he's doing push-ups, and he gets to 35, and the guy goes, oh, I wasn't counting. Start over. And he was just blown out. And so he goes to the back of the line, and then they said, well, we're not doing any retakes. You're out of here. It was just like that, one shot, <laughs> you know. And so he got... He, he washed out of that and uh, got stuck at Benning for a couple months. And then what they did was, unbeknownst to the recruiters, the Army was getting rid of that job. So the 25 Charlie radio operator maintainer job was going away, and they didn't have any placement for these guys. And there were like 16 of them. They'd all come in about the same time. They all went the same track, right? They all went to RASP. They all washed out of RASP. I think all but one guy. 
and they ended up attending and they're sitting around they're packing parachutes and doing you know, some medial stuff and then they you know and he's texting us we've gone back through all the text messages and kind of built the timeline and you know he's telling us you know the instructors of the it were saying you know just hope you don't go to an ada unit an air defense artillery unit because they're the worst and you know it's like of of three forts in the u.s fort sill oklahoma is one of the worst uh just for depression and suicide and stuff like that ironically and uh, that's where they ended up putting them so they put him and about eight other people with 25 charlie at fort sill and basically they just they had nothing for him to do so, so for two and a half years so they sent about he, half of them to sill yeah you know did the, would the other half stay at benning or they go somewhere else i don't know oh, okay i don't know he didn't share a lot of details we just know that uh, that core group were pretty tight so all those guys kind of stuck together they had each other's backs right know? yeah but they, they just they forced them like i guess at other forts if, if you don't have a job you can just you like show up for muster and pt and then you go home i mean you could you could go have a part-time job or you could study online go to college do stuff like that they didn't allow them to do that they made them come in they had to sit in an office building where they didn't have enough computers for everybody and so every day was just this insult man this this kid was motivated he wanted to serve his country and here he is he's stuck in this room so he spent two and a half years trying to get out of there and they wouldn't let him transfer to to another unit and he couldn't reclass because he was stuck in this this time time frame so he had he went in as an Eagle Scout, so he was uh, like a uh, E2, I think, right out of boot. And then a year in, he got promoted to specialist. So he was an E4, uh, but he still had to stay in that, that rank for like two years before they'd let him reclass. It was really kind of messed up. Um, so long story short, you know, he just, he tried and tried. He tried to go to, I think it was uh, El Salvador, um, he put in the paperwork, they kicked it back, they said it's it, it's wrong, then they wouldn't tell him what was wrong, so he filled it out again, he sent it in, they lost it, so he sent in a third packet, and they, just like they um, notified him it had been received 15 minutes after the, the group had deployed for, for that station, so it's like, wow. that just crushed him. He tried to, he, he had taken German uh, while, I think while at AIT, he did a, a distance learning course, A, you know, he got A's through through it. He did really good in the language. And he was trying to get this German, um, it was like rifleman. It was some special class uh, for army. Um, anyway, they nobody would tell him when to show up to the, this this meeting. And he so, you know, he's trying to find out where do I go? When do I get there? And nobody would tell him. And he could never find out. So he missed that opportunity because he was hoping he could go and do, uh, you know, get a deployment into Germany where he really, he really did want to go. Um, then he tried, he tried to go special forces. And so he went to SFAS and something very similar kind of happened to him there. Um, it, I it wasn't push-ups that got him this time. I think he thinks it was pull-ups because he didn't dismount the way they told him to dismount. He dropped instead of like walking down the, the ladder anyway. Um, so that didn't work out for him. So finally, this is in 
Oh, and in 2020, it, since there's nothing to do with Fort Sill, Oklahoma, you know, there's the Wichita Mountains, which are just kind of hills if you ever lived in Colorado. He'd go backpacking a lot and, and hiking, and he drove to Arkansas for a backpacking trip over the Thanksgiving weekend. And on his trip home, Thanksgiving Day, he lost control of his Jeep and rolled it at 65. The body came off the frame, probably saved his life. You know, he woke up upside down, dragged himself out of the Jeep, and passed out. And it turned out, you know, they, they air flighted him down to Dallas, and he just had a, a abrasion on his neck, a cut on his leg from the door panel. And other than that, he seemed fine. Wow. And it was about a year and a half later, the Army diagnosed him with a traumatic brain injury. So between the time of the accident and like 2022, he was having sleep problems. He developed sleep apnea. He, he had anxiety. And the Army wasn't diagnosing it. They're just like, take Motrin, take Motrin, you know, that kind of thing. So, so that, that was a... That was a cause that was attributed to the car crash then from yeah. the, the head injury. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He was out cold for probably half an hour is the estimate. There were, there were other cars nearby. So people, you know, witnessed it and they were able to call help. But, uh, then finally 2022 and I'm skipping over some stuff, but you know, he just kept, he kept trying to find things. He applied to the white house correspondence, um, communications team got turned down for that. He applied to Space Force, got turned down for that. I mean, here's the kid, he's an Eagle Scout. He's got, you know, he he's taken foreign language. He he did well in high school. He took Latin in school. So, I mean, he'd studied German, Latin, Spanish. He's no dumb kid, you know. He's really smart. He's really motivated. And he's stuck in this, the sewer trap of, of the 5-5 ADA unit. It's really the 5-5 was the problem, the leadership of that. I'm sorry if I'm pissing anybody off, but uh, no, the leadership of that unit don't. is terrible. Hey, if they had shitty leadership, they had shitty leadership. Nobody yeah. can argue with that. Yep. So he ended up finding, finally he got, uh, he found a spot he could deploy to Qatar, or Qatar, if you say it that way, with the 4-3. So he had to change units. And he said when that went through, his life changed immediately. He just, every day was better. They, they treated him well. He had a job to do. He was training. He was getting ready for deployment, you know. And so he deploys the cutter in like April of 2022. I think that's right. Yeah. And he was there till September. And then he got back. And his plan was to go on terminal leave in November. And then he was going to take like six weeks, come home, spend Thanksgiving and Christmas with us. And then he decided. He was going to pursue college. Uh, he had two two colleges in the United States that, that supported what he wanted to do. It was a um, mechanical engineering degree with a welding. Uh, I forget what the title of it was. But it's a welding degree. Um, and OSU in Columbus, Ohio, which happens to be nearby. Or Butte, um, there's the Montana Technological Institute in Butte, Montana. And he decided to go to Butte. So when he came home after, you know, he's on terminal leave, he packs up all his stuff. And January, or actually it was like December 30th, he left. And he, uh, he got an apartment with an army buddy who was also a 25 Charlie. So he get this guy done through the exact same thing that Connor had gone through. And um, they were, he was doing really well. 
he had he started school right away it was like january 8th so um things were just kind of clicking off for him he paid off his tacoma he didn't have to work if he didn't want to he had like a 90 percent disability you know from the army so he was getting pretty decent amount of pay splitting the rent with his buddy they were talking about buying a house together uh connor wanted to get a pinball machine i mean this is all happening like the week that he killed himself and uh that night this is in april he uh, they went up to a movie they saw renfield and he said they spent like two hours after the movie joking around about Nicolas cage you know is he a bad actor or is he just a good actor acting badly you know that whole <laughs> Nicolas cage argument mm-hmm. and he said they were just having a great time it was a night like every other night uh, nothing out of the ordinary no excessive drinking nothing like that they get home uh, like nine o'clock that evening with their separate ways and 11 o'clock his buddy hears a, a boom and, and that was it so we flew out there that was on a Thursday we were out there Saturday my wife and I and our, and our oldest son and um, we started sifting through the pieces you know, what what the hell happened How, why did he kill himself because it made no sense at all you know he met up with his roomie who was just a freaking shell of a human guy was just a mess and uh, we we ended up that day we just kind of said hi to him met him looked at the apartment we just wanted to size up you know what do we have to get what do we have to do to get all this stuff out you know and we talked to him quite a bit and as we were we're sitting up in my son's bedroom and his buddy went into the bathroom and pulled out this tray of stuff and he hands me this bottle and he says this is i'm super suspicious about this and i'm looking at it and it was an antidepressant and it had been the prescription was filled april 1st and there were eight pills missing so he took eight pills and then killed himself it's the only thing the only thing that makes any sense in this whole picture everything was going for my son he was doing well in school he was on you know he'd signed up for summer semester that week he had uh he pulled out his jujitsu gi and he made an appointment for the following monday to go to jujitsu he had arranged with somebody he collected this is kind of a family thing but he collected typewriters uh, old unique typewriters and he'd arranged with this guy going through the state the dude was driving three hours just to be happy you know happened to be passing through butte and he had arranged with the guy to meet with them uh, at a local um, off-ramp to, to buy this typewriter and that was saturday you know so he he had plans in the works everything was was you know it just made no sense at all and so brian what was yeah. the date of the tragedy I'm, I'm, april 13th april 13th and you say he started taking the pills on the first that's when the prescription was filled so i'm guessing it was one supposed to be one a day or one a day yeah it was, so, the, it was bupropion uh, also known as wellbutrin and it was in his blood so he did blood toxicology came back and it was in his blood so he was taking it you know he must have started like the fourth or something like that right so uh, he had he had a, a meeting with the VA clinic March 30th she wrote the prescription this is the nurse practitioner wrote the prescription it was filled on the first and then 
yeah, he died eight days later, or, or yeah, two weeks later. So I I did some some research on you know I didn't really know anything about bupropion, and what I started finding out was really infuriating. Like the FDA forced the manufacturer to put a warning on it in 2004 that said this should not be given to anybody under 25 years old. My son was 22. Um, the first, there's a study that shows that the first 10 days on this drug is chaos. And there's a very high rate, relatively speaking, of suicidal thoughts, suicidal action. And, and that under 25 goes up tremendously. After 25 years old, for whatever reason, it drops off. So we are certain that this drug is what did this. You know, it caused some, you know, change in his, his mental chemistry. It threw him into just a deep depression. And, you know, for whatever reason, this is the way he got to keep it away But I, I have no doubt at all that if that prescription had not been given to him, he'd still be here today. I would agree. It's, it is, it's crystal clear to me. Well, hopefully there's somebody out here listening that can, I mean, are you, are you already getting things started or uh, with the, uh, I mean, what do you got planned? So, I mean, we've talked about a few things. Um, there, there appears to be no protocol, especially with the VA on things like counseling for mental health, uh, counseling before administering mind-altering drugs <laughs> like bupropion. There's no, there's no, um, you know, like tight um, follow-up, right? There should be daily calls for, for like two weeks or something like that, just checking in with the guy. Right. How are you doing? You know, what's going on? Not that he, not that he would have been honest with them. I don't know, but it doesn't exist. So, you know, stuff like that needs to change. So we're thinking along the lines of trying to get a build sponsored to force the VA to take this more seriously, you know, and to treat our vets with more care and more concern and not just say, well, it's only 10% of this age group that commits suicide or something like that. You know, it's unfreaking acceptable. Right. And 22 vets a day commit suicide. And I'm really curious how many have been prescribed antidepressants. Now, I don't know that number and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say it's, it's high, but wouldn't that be a coincidence if, you know, there's a trend here that nobody's paying attention to. So we're looking at that. I'm definitely looking at a wrongful death suit against the VA. I think, uh, um, <laughs> I'm pissed, you know, I'm mad as hell. My second son is gone and you know it's a permanent permanent solution to a temporary problem that he had and he didn't get the help he needed yeah I'm so, so sorry man it's heart it is beyond heartbreaking you know every day it's, it's tough it's tough and you know it kind of sounds kind of weird maybe but finding out that it was the drug really relieved me a little bit you know it's not so it's not me wondering what the hell what's my son thinking you know yeah. i think he was literally out of his mind it's, it, 
from this medication. Right. It's understandable to feel that way. I heard a guy, there was a guy that was on one of these antidepressants that killed his own son. And when he started digging into it, that was one of the, you know, one of the things that they covered up that they found about that. You know, it's like, why the fuck would you put this shit out there when people are doing things like that? It doesn't make any sense, man. But I mean, I don't. I just don't trust any of these pharmaceutical companies. I don't even take aspirin. I mean, I just, I don't trust any of these people. Yeah, and, you know, um, GlaxoSmith, billion dollars back in like 2012 over Wellbutrin because of their, they were falsely portraying it as totally safe. And it wasn't, it was proven that it was not safe and they were sued and they lost three billion dollars and yet they still do this stuff you know and the fact that i think something else that probably needs to change is that antidepressants are not controlled like narcotics are right so i i wrongly thought only a psychiatrist or a medical doctor could prescribe antidepressants and i was wrong it's in almost all the states even a physical assistant can assign, can prescribe antidepressants. Physical assistant, a nurse practitioner, uh, any any primary care provider is allowed to prescribe this stuff. So they could be killing countless kids and other people because they're obviously not following the directives from the FDA. Right. You know. So it's like, what what are the rules? What are and they don't appear to be any. I'd be curious. Fight. I'd be curious to know what's. So these, it seems like they're cracking down on like uh, painkillers and stuff like that that people are getting hooked on. I'd like to know the difference between the painkillers and the antidepressant. What are the difference in the rules between those two? You know, are they harder on the painkillers than they are in these antidepressants? You know, they are. They yeah. are. That's because it's a. I don't know what it, I, I'm not by any means any kind of expert, but it's like a class three narcotic or something like that, right? So they. It's, it's very tightly controlled um, and a lot of you know it's kind of a running joke that a lot of psychiatrists have to write prescriptions to keep their their ability to write prescriptions and so you know that's what I thought was happening I thought just some some psych doctor at the VA was you know just filling their quota for, for writing antidepressant prescriptions but I was totally wrong it's just a nurse practitioner and I love nurse practitioners, don't get me wrong, but man, that's a lot of, that's a heavy freaking consequence right. for somebody who's not, a, you know, an actual doctor. And it's like, you there's know, we, too much, they're not, they're not spreading out the responsibility correctly is what it sounds like. And it's a tough, tough problem. You know, depression is considered to be an epidemic, you know, and it's so, for instance, what does somebody under 25 do if they can't take these drugs? And, and, you know, bupropion works wonders for some people. It's like a miracle drug for certain people, but it kills other people, you know. So there's clearly just like with, you know, with the pandemic that we just all lived through, 
you know, the, the consequences of, of getting that virus, for instance, COVID-19, was radically different in everybody. You know, it hit elderly people different than it hit young people. And and the, the same thing with the, with the uh, vaccine, you know, it's having different effects on different people. So there's, there's a lot we don't understand about body chemistry and, but the things we do understand especially around this particular drug and drugs like it is that the first 10 days are a crapshoot and you don't know what's going to happen you know they could get better or they could kill themselves or try to kill themselves and and they're not doing a damn thing about it you know they're not yeah, treating bullshit. that period of time it's it's ridiculous you know and it's but again it's so it, we have this problem we have this this depression epidemic we can't prescribe these these really it's a brain rewiring drug it's this um uptake inhibitor that causes the brain to hold on to um, chemicals that make you feel better that's that's basically how they work and you know and there's different there are different kinds and I'm, I'm blanking on the other one but like i think you had mentioned box in, in one of our previous conversations you were saying you're know, like all the mass shooters basically have had you know indications that they were on at presence yeah well, and it's, it's i think it's a different class and um damn it they call them ssris i think there's there's ssris and then bupropion is a different it's a different one but the ssri is a serotonin reuptake inhibitor and bupropion is uh, it's a different, it's not serotonin. I forget which one it is, but okay. uh, they, they function the same. They just cause the brain to hold on to, to not wash away, uh, or flush out, you know, the, the buildup of like serotonin and yeah, what it, what it does to the brain, I don't think is still, it, it, we don't fully understand it, you know, and why why can it effectively appear to cure somebody of their depression in one case and cause somebody to go mass murder people in another case? That's fucking nuts. Yeah, it's, I mean, they just don't know what the fuck they're doing. I mean, let's just be honest. They're experimenting with, with people, people's lives and shit. I'm going to I'm going to pause it real quick. All right. All right. We're back. I had to start a new Zoom call because I'm a cheapskate. <laughs> <laughs> Horseman, you got any questions? Um, hold on, let me uh get my screen. No, no, uh, but um, I, I, my understanding is the DEA, with regards to pain medication, the DEA is, you have to have a, a number that's somehow logged, I believe, with the DEA, and and that gets the prescriber kind of on the books or they're worried about their books so um uh opiates and things like that well you know if you may have a, a prescriber that is pinging high for for the wrong thing according to the government but as far as i know uh antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds do not register i mean that's just that's just flowing the pills they are don't, yeah they don't consider them to be at risk to be abused is what i read yeah so they've said, okay, so it can just be prescribed by all these, these primary care people. And additionally, um, withdrawal. 
can literally make people psychotic from anti-anxiety or anti-depressants. Like if they quit cold turkey, big problem. It can be a huge problem. So, and also, um, I've I've read somewhere I, I can't quote anything right now that the pharmaceutical companies are sort of I don't know if forced is the right word to admit they don't really know what's what's going on with this stuff. Yeah, they no don't shit. really say oh you know mechanically you know this causes this this it's sort of mysterious even to them it's, it's that's what I gathered. It's like I said it's an experiment they're using us as the guinea pigs. Yeah, hey, you know and there's. One of the reasons I told kind of the story of Connor's army experience is is that at his service, so five of his army buddies flew out. One guy came from Okinawa. These guys came from Alabama, all over the country, and, and flew out and, and were at his service. And we had him over to the house. We talked to him. And one of the things they all said was, Connor never quit. He never gave up. All these, They all gave up. They're all like, this is Fort Sills it. It's, it's just a shit show. It is what it is. We're never getting out of here. And Connor refused to give up. So here's more evidence that it's totally uncharacteristic for him, you know? Right. And, and the other thing about Connor was he was a meticulous researcher. He built his own weapons. He built a, a AR-308. Some people call him an AR-10, but it's really a a 308 AR. He, he built that from scratch. He you know, milled his own receiver. He built a AR-15. He milled his own receiver. Built the uppers. He went through. He researched everything. Do I get nitride coating? Do I get, you know, whatever? And he was very meticulous. And he bought and researched everything. He that that's the way he was about weapons when he was, when I was saying he wanted to be a kind of a weapons specialist going in the army because he just kind of knew a lot. You know, a lot about. The history of weapons design, about how they were used. He, he so, would always bring up bizarre when, weapons when, like the Chachao. When he uh, did, he build these weapons before he went in the military, or after, or during. He, he built the AR-15 before he went in. He built the AR-308 while he was in. Um. And what he did is he got he got a storage unit in in Lawton, Oklahoma, and he was able to just work out of his storage unit. So that's where he kept all his weapons. He also built a Glock 19 uh, high performance pistol. He wanted to shoot competition with it, so it's got you know bended barrel and lightweight and all this stuff. He made that um, by himself. But the point was about his researching is the other the irony to all of this is he didn't freaking research bupropion the va said take this drug and he just said okay and it <laughs> just so uncharacteristic you know was it is it that you know that aspect of you know he's dealing with somebody that he sees as as an authority figure right, you know yeah it's this this nurse practitioner this va representative and they basically say, you know, you've got, you know, he had been diagnosed, unbeknownst to us. So, by the way, we had no clue he was depressed. When he was home, Thanksgiving through Christmas, he was just his normal self. And if that was what depression looks like, holy shit, I'm an idiot. I can't spot it, you know, because he was happy. 
it was just normal. It was, you know, just normal life. Um, but I was going to say something that derailed my, my thought. Oh, he had been diagnosed. I think it was part of the sleep, um, the sleep study that he ended up getting, where they found out that he had the TBI, the traumatic brain injury. They also diagnosed him with uh, basically chronic depression. And, and you guys didn't hear anything about that? Nope. Not until afterwards. Not until not until we're reading the paperwork, you know. And he had a, he had a laundry list of, of things that were kind of army related that were in his disability. Some of that I don't want to talk about. Depression was in there, and so I think you know the nurse practitioner was just like, let's hit the low hanging fruit, you know. Yep. Let's try to knock that one out. We'll just give you an antidepressant. He said, okay. And life went from being great to being worth ending, you know. It's a shame. It's fucked. It. I tell you, so that, so we're out there. It's the fifteenth, the Saturday, and we didn't do anything at the apartment again. You know, we just kind of talked to the roomie and stuff. And our plan was, we're going to go get the U-Haul. My brother also drove out from from uh, Oregon with his wife and met us there, and he helped out tremendously. So we had my my oldest son, my wife, my brother, his wife, and me kind of there as a team and our plan was to get the U-Haul Saturday and then Sunday we'd go over and just try to get everything loaded up so we could get out of there Monday you know just, just deal with because I had I wanted to get his personal effects back that the police had taken and um, that was on Monday so Sunday morning I got I usually get up about 5 by 15 or something like that so I was up about 5 o'clock and just decided to get dressed and I drove over to the apartment and I wanted to just answer some questions for myself. You know, A, um, he, he shot himself and I wanted to know which weapon he used. And that was heartbreaking to do, man. So the way this apartment was set up was there was a big bedroom with a lot of storage and that his roomie was there first. His roomie was there for like four months. So he picked the big room and so connor got this law and as a result of that they agreed that connor would get all the storage space so there's this big storage space kind of above the downstairs bathroom and there was space under the stairs and stuff like that so he had ammo cans under the stairs but all of his weapons were stored up in this, this cubby he had to use a ladder to get up there and so i get the ladder and i'm in all the rifles are back in the corner back behind a bunch of boxes, you know, storage totes, camping gear. He was a huge camper, so, I mean, he had a freaking REI outlet store <laughs> worth of camping gear. Um, move all that stuff out of the way, and I start uh, pulling a case out. I look at it, you know, it's it's the AR-10. Well, I have another case. It's his, you know, I don't, I don't want to go through all the rifles, but... And I get to the last case, and it was empty, and I couldn't freaking believe it. It was... It was this select grade M1 Garand that we took him up to Fort Perry to buy. It was his prized possession. Man. He was, Connor was, uh, he wasn't a G.I. Joe Army man. He was a John Wayne Army man. I mean, he, 
his head was in just that romantic fight for your country you know we're doing the right thing he was just really he loved the old world war ii movies and stuff like that he um the, the grand was just like the iconic piece of american history that he wanted you know and he bought the best one he could afford and it was expensive you know so here it is though but it was the last case it was shoved in the corner buried behind everything else so that tells me a couple things you know tells me i think the choice of that weapon was significant the fact that it was hard to get to tells me it was probably staged for quite some time so i don't understand it you know was that a week was that i don't know his like i said his roommate totally caught off guard by this had no signs of him being depressed the only thing is he noticed a change in connor's drinking pattern because he would go he loved craft beers so he was buying like you know import german stuff and belgian beers and he would always have a six pack in the fridge and he said that stopped the first week of april and then it coincided with the with the drug so he was told not to drink alcohol you know while he was on the drug and he ended up not following that you know that that advice so he was he had alcohol in his system and and the drug so you yeah, got why you guys got that the grand up at fort perry yeah camp perry is yep. that the one up by putting bay the big airfield it's it's on the it's at the far side of um, lake erie uh, on the west yeah putting bays putting bays a little further east but yeah it's i don't know if they have an airfield but it's um it's where they do the long range shooting competitions okay uh, large bore large caliber you see like you can get an m1 at the if they call it the civilian marksmanship program cmp okay by and they have different grades so you walk in there they have racks and racks of rifles they have you know like rack grade and they have collector's grade and they have i think there's one above collectors and it's like um zero moa at 100 yards i mean they're just deadly accurate rifles right that's top top tier competition stuff uh, he bought one below that so the stock was immaculate and you know all the head spaces were checked and it's just just a beautiful rifle so but uh you could anybody can go up there and get one yeah they, so they had like a military side and then a civilian side or they had it they had it kind of split like that or i don't think i think the national guard uses parts of the camp but it's not a i don't think it's an active army fort anymore okay well, there's i think it's maybe it's close to another one that i'm thinking of because i've drove past there i could be wrong too yeah but i did see national guard um but yeah it's it's open to civilians you don't have to go through guard chats you know? huh yeah man that's uh that's a sad story to hear i it's heartbreaking yeah well, absolutely heartbreaking yeah sounds like a nightmare having to go to his place where he lived and walking through that and sort of piecing it together absolutely you know and he's he left a note but we don't know when he wrote it 
you know, and it's it's confusing the way the way he phrases things in there. So I don't, you know, was I don't know. We just don't know. We don't know the answers. We never will. It's like you said. It sounds like the the whole drug thing knocked him completely out of character. So the letter's not going to make any sense. You know, it's a shame. I agree. And other than, you know, him taking his life, I, I've not heard of any him having any lead-up symptoms. I mean, the, the, T, the TB traumatic brain injury was there, but, like, depressive symptoms or things like that, I've, I've not heard anything like that. No, and his, his roomie made the comment that, you know, they all get trained in, in, in the Army. You know, you're trained on watching out for suicidal behaviors, right? Suicidal behaviors, depression. He said Connor exhibited none of it. Connor took the training too, so that might have been a case where you know he knew what to hide. Yeah. But even yeah. then, you know, he lives with this guy, and right. his roomie, his roomie was is a hell of a guy. He's he's Connor's life battle buddy. He really was. They had each other's back. Con- and Connor was the visionary. Connor, Connor was the guy who wanted to go to, to uh, Montana Technological Institute. His his buddy from the army didn't have a plan. He's like, I'll come up there. I'll come up there, we'll get an apartment, I'll go to school there. And they're like, okay, and that's what they did. Um, Connor's like, hey, I think we should buy a house. This is why, you know, da-da-da, and, and that that Monday, they were talking about it. And his roomie's like, okay, that's a plan, let's do it, you know. And so he wasn't just a follower, I don't want to say it that way, but Alex, <laughs> I'm seeing his name, his roomie, um, just didn't really have he's kind of more like me i'm by the, by the seat of my pants you know I, ne- I didn't go to college i never had a career plan <laughs> it's just kind of it's happened to me you know i've taken opportunities where i find them and that's the way his roomie was but connor holy crap man he i found i found he did a he did a road trip they took five weeks off him and three other army buddies and they piled in his tacoma and they went from fort sill they they hit Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, Idaho, and Montana. They saw you know Glacier National Park, Yellowstone. They they climbed fourteeners in Colorado. They did all this stuff, and he had he had written out a plan for every day for for meals. You know where where they were just going to grab stuff from fast food, or if they were going to prepare it, and you know how, he had it all planned out. And he wasn't like this crazy anal retentive control freak he just knew what he needed to do his his he camped so much and he backpacked so much he knew exactly what he needed and he knew how to take nothing more you know and so if he planned it out it was a damn good plan i really respected that he i much again i'm much more seated in my pants you know i was like ah, sure, <laughs> yeah i'll take a quart of water and quart of water and Connor's like, well, no, because I need this, and I'm going to make coffee, and he had coffee grounds, and, you know. It, yeah, it's so, out of character is a great way of phrasing it, Fox. Yeah. It, that, that event, that day, he was in character up until, I guess, until he took the drug. I don't know how quickly it acts, but, you know, could, in two hours, if he took it when he got home, and it kicked in, and just threw him into a, a spiral you know and then he wrote the letter maybe and then I, I don't know 
It's hard I'm, to. I'm just. Yeah. Mad as hell. Can't blame you. So, you know, could I, I looked into things like, like a malpractice suit. That's hard to do, especially because it's common practice, right? The way that they just dispense the antidepressants. You can't say that this person did anything out of the ordinary. So that's a hard, that's a hard thing to, to follow through with. So I'm not going to pursue that, but it, it'll be tied somewhat tied into the wrongful death case. And we're right at the very, very beginning of that. I, I've mapped out kind of the history I gave you guys. I mapped it out in pretty high detail with with supporting documentation. This is where I got the information. And again, it's an indication of a guy that fought. He fought and he fought and he fought for four years to do what he wanted to do. And he got out and he was fighting for what he wanted to do and he was freaking winning. You know, I can't believe, he, like I said, he just paid off He's 22 years old. He's got a 2014 diploma that I co-signed for, but I ne that was it. That was the last I heard of that car. He paid every note. He was never late. He you know, he took Dave Ramsey's financial planning course in high school. He took it to heart. He had no debt. He had $100 um, on a credit card. That was it. He had money in the bank. He had a retirement plan. Man, sounds like he had... He had it going on, man, and it's just—it's a shame. And I hope it is. I hope there's somebody listening that can uh, maybe knows something about this or can help out. And you know, every every episode at the end of the show, I we got an email that people can get a hold of us or over Instagram. And I just hope, man, that somebody can help you with this in some way. Yeah, I contacted uh, Congressman Zinke in in Montana, and he's fighting for veterans' care. And I got a call back from one of his guys, but I've been playing phone tag with him. But, uh, yeah, I'm hoping maybe we can spearhead something here, if for nothing else, to get PTSD, to get, you know, depression, to get suicidal um, markers and things like antidepressants being a trigger for those things getting this some attention you know and so we've even talked about trying to sponsor a new license plate in ohio for um there's there's a, a veterans group that i'm really fond of called silent battle and it's about ptsd and it's the battle within you know probably all you vets at some level you know have this stuff you still fight with and it's just you struggle on the inside and nobody not not nobody but you know as a on a large scale it's not being taken very seriously you know and trying to bring attention to it if, if that's the least we can do then we're going to try to do something like that you know maybe get a silent battle license plate uh, commissioned in ohio maybe get you know my wife's referring to it as connor's law but some some way to force the VA to to have some accountability. Cause what the what the freaking hell, man? She prescribed something on March thirtieth, and my son is dead thirteen days later. Does she even care? Is she just doing this again? You know? Are there yeah. other vets she's just pumping this out to, and then they just they're dropping dead, and nobody gives a damn? What the hell? Yeah, it makes you wonder if it's like when this happens. Is there any kind of 
protocol to fucking walk it back to the uh, to the origin of it, or they just play it off and try to act like it had nothing to do with the medicine. That's news to me, man. I don't know. It took it took us almost twelve weeks to get his blood the the blood analysis back. So that's a big gap, you know, between a crime scene and some answers, you know, and to find out, yes, finally, we know for a fact that that antidepressant was in his blood. So he was taking it. And there, to me, no pun intended, but it is the smoking gun. Right. And like you said, what's the protocol? I don't think there is one. I think probably close the close the case deceased, you know. Yeah, they want to protect their own asses, you know. Yep. But this this yeah. episode is it's going to be dedicated to your son, man. Uh, and I just like I said, I hope somebody out there can be of help to us. And then I don't know, maybe maybe you can come on in the future and hopefully let us know what happened with all that and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'd be happy to. We'll see. I'm waiting to hear back from the attorney. So our the lawyer we usually work with, um, I'm not going to say I have a lawyer. It's just the lawyer we've worked with from time to time we trust doesn't do personal injuries type cases like this. So they're referring us to a, a firm in Columbus that does. And it's been a couple of weeks. We just haven't heard back yet. So I'm anxious. Right. I'm anxious it, this, this was a life that, you know, I was so looking forward to what he was going to do because everything he did was exciting. You know, we're getting yeah. pictures from him hiking around in minus 13 degree weather and he's iced up all over his beard and, you know, huh. and he's just always out doing something amazing. And, uh, and that's all gone. Grandkids, gone. Yeah, usually when, uh, like if there's a wrongful death, you, I, sometimes they would do like pro bono. But I, probably when they're going against the government, probably not, you know, because it's, it's like an uphill battle. Yeah, the uh, VA, there's a weird process with the VA. It's like you have to file notification to them that you're suing them. And it's almost like they just roll over in a lot of these things and just pay out. But a lot of the payouts I'm seeing are pretty low, like $75,000 for a wrongful death. To me, that's bullshit. Yeah. You know, this is a life. This is 22-year-old veteran who uh, he just had the world in front of him, you know, and that's gone. So um, my target's a lot. And I know of a, an attorney in Medina, Ohio. His name is Michael T. Conway. Okay. He's a former Marine, and he's actually successfully sued Halliburton in the past. Okay. Yeah, so he knows what he's doing. I've worked with him before, and I mean, he's he's tough as nails. Michael T. Conway in Medina, Ohio. Okay. Yeah, he's Thanks. he typically does employment type stuff, but um, you know, Connor being in the military and and, and Michael Conway, uh, former Marine, there may be some connection there worth looking into. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. All right, I guess we'll wrap it up here then. Well, hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. This is really the first I've talked about this to well, I hope it, I mean, it's never going to be better, but hopefully it's 
you know, help you get it off your chest somewhat, you know what I mean? And maybe we can get some help from somebody out there just listening. You never know. Thanks for sharing. Appreciate it, guys. Good to see you, man. Yeah, likewise. All right, take care. See you. All right. Yeah, so what I was saying was um, the side effects on some of these antidepressant, anti-anxiety medicines, if you look online and see people, anecdotal stories or forums, the side effects is awful, can be awful. And sometimes people will try one, then the side effect for two weeks, and then they, they have to get off that and ramp back up on another. I mean, the side effects can, can be life-threatening in that it makes you not who you are. Right. If you look into it, so that's all. All right, well, that was our interview with Brian Brumfield. And this show is dedicated to his son, Connor, Connor Brumfield. So rest in peace, Connor. And hopefully there's somebody out there that can get a hold of us and help out in some way. You can get a hold of us at uh, conspiracysoldiers at yahoo.com. Send us an email, or you can message me on Instagram at Conspiracy Soldiers. And so we're going to wrap that up now, and that's it. I'll see you next week.